Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is March the 5th, 2020, and this is episode 2613 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, I've been kind of alternating between listener call shows on Thursdays and Jack just Jack shows. And uh, I'm just going to tell you, every time I poll the audience on Facebook or somewhere else and say, what do you like best, it's usually the Just Jack shows. So I'm leaning toward more of those, so that's what we're going to do today. Today's show is titled, Why Homesteading is One of the Best Preps You Can Make. And, and preps is in you know uh, quotations, like Dr. Evil. Perhaps, right? So we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about it a little bit from the angle of the crisis of the quarter, which is, uh, the of course, the coronavirus, which the TV is terrifying us with on a daily basis. And uh, I've been really relaxed about this, and I was sitting around thinking about how it doesn't make sense to me people are so freaked out in this audience. I, I get the general public freaking out. Um And I wonder if maybe part of it is y'all don't realize, I, I, I accused you earlier this week of maybe you're not as prepped as you think you are. Maybe you're better prepped than you, than you understand that you are. And maybe the things you need to just shore up your prepping, especially for those of y'all that are homesteaders, are not the things that everybody else is doing. I made a meme today, and you've probably seen this meme used other ways, and it's a, it's an exit ramp. And you got a straight arrow, and you got a, a sharp exit. And the car is like swerving to take the exit. You know, it's like turned sideways, skidding to take the exit. And on the one side, I put common sense preps. And the other side, I put um, hoarding toilet paper and bottled water. And under the car, I put Americans frightened of, afraid of coronavirus. And, and there's a lot of that going on. And I'll, I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you what it is. Just like our government is always preparing for the last terrorist strike, right? So the terrorists get on airplanes, take the whole thing over because everybody is used to, uh, you just do what the terrorists say, and then fly them into buildings. So then we decide we're going to make sure that no one can ever hijack an airplane with a razor knife again. Let me tell you something, folks. Guess what? You're not hijacking an airplane with a razor knife ever again. If somebody tries to hijack a plane with a razor knife right now, they get four or five guys with razor knives on a plane trying to hijack a plane, what's going to happen is the passengers and the crew are going to be, somebody might get cut, somebody might die, but the, the hijackers are going to get the living F beat the shit out of them. There is no longer a threat to airplanes from razor knives because everybody knows now that that can happen. And so if somebody stands up with a razor knife, whack! Done. The end. And you can think whatever you want about 9-11. My, my, um, my, my point there is still valid. You tell me right now, you're on an airplane, some guy stands up with a razor knife, starts trying to cut people, and says he wants to take over the airplane. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You going to let him do it? Or are you and everybody else on their disabled body going to beat the living shit and shove it up his ass, right? So we're going to stop this from happening by a bunch of procedures. And see, that's what the government did. And we all go, well, that's kind of stupid because... That's really not what y'all need to be paying attention to at this point. Because that's the old thing, not whatever's going to be the new thing, the innovation. Right. So how does that apply to everybody freaking out about coronavirus right now? Well, the reason they're stockpiling uh, piling, you know, bottled water and toilet paper and crap and, and, and stuff like that um, is because what are the most recent disasters in memory? Hurricanes. And what did everybody need? There you go. That's why people are doing it. 
That's why when you look at it and go, what? That's why they're doing it. You have a sink. And a sink is attached to a faucet. And you turn it on and water just comes out of there like crazy. You have all kinds of access to containers. You could put as much water on the shelf as you want right now to your sink. And people are running off to Costco and buying a case of freaking water. It doesn't make any sense at all. People are out buying, buying gallons and gallons of bleach because some internet writer told them to. And by the way, you people that keep posting pictures of, of stores saying they're sold out of shit, you're idiots. You're morons. You're, you're a complete idiot if you're doing that. So you go to the next store and shit, they're sold out here too, you think? Stop doing that. Stop contributing to the crisis. Anyway, that's my PSA about coronavirus today is we, for the intro. But we're going to talk about homesteading. And when I go through this, you're going to say, geez, no wonder he's not worried. And maybe I don't need to be worried either. Maybe the things I need to shore up are things like, how much feed for my wild, my livestock do I have in reserve? How much gas do I have in reserve for my generator? Not because the whole grid's going to go down, but because if while this is going on and there's shortages and the power goes out, I don't want to lose anything that I have, like food or you know livestock that are supported by some sort of electrical or, or what have you. So, so you might need to just shore up some things that are the things that nobody's shoring up. And I'll even talk a little bit about food and eating today and how the food that I eat every day that's storable is the food no one's buying even in Ground Zero right now. It's funny. Like, I realized today, I took a walk on the property because it's beautiful out. I don't, I'm going to tell you the truth. I, as much as I love doing the show, I don't want to work today. I wanted to take today off. I was like, man, this would be a great day to finish cleaning up my aviary and start tearing out the greenhouse. I mean, really, like, it is... Absolutely, after yesterday being another mud day and cold as shit, is beautiful. So I'm walking around my beautiful property. I'm watching fruit trees blow up everywhere. I take a handful of fish pellets and I throw them in my tank and I watch my fish come up and eat them and I'm like, no wonder I don't give a shit. And we're going to talk about that today. Before we do, let's do our quote of the day, which fits right in with homesteading. And it's by one of our founders and one of our first presidents, not the first, but the second, um, Thomas Jefferson, who uh, also is the author of, of course, one of our founding documents in the Declaration of Independence. What did he say about homesteading and small farms and small holdings? Well, this is what he said one time. I have always believed it is better to be settled on a small farm, just sufficient to furnish the table. Thomas Jefferson. That's where we're coming at this from today. A... a a, a, a people who are able to prov provide some level of their basic sustenance from where they live are stable. Jefferson also said something, I, I couldn't give you the exact quote off the top of my head, but it was something that basically the best part of a state is a self-sufficient population on small holdings. It, it's not the way he phrased it at all, but that was his point. Jefferson was never big on statism. Wasn't a real big fan of the state. Thought the state was a necessary evil. But he also understood the purpose of a state, in his mind, was to protect the rights of individuals. And that one of those rights was the right to property. And that if you had a society built of small holdings, you had a very stable society. Because people had their basic needs met. And that's what we're talking about today. Before we do, I want to say one more thing about coronavirus because it amazes me how irresponsible reporting is. So I saw a thing last night. When I first saw the headline, my bullshit detector went off, but my concern detector went off too. Like, which one is it? 
And it was, the coronavirus has mutated into an, a, a, a more deadly form. Oh, okay, this could, and they're calling it SARS-2, which is totally irresponsible as well. Because if this was SARS, you'd be dead people everywhere. If it was spreading the way that it is and it was SARS, I mean, then we, then you would hear me saying, wah, 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 alarm, alarm. All right. So I read this and I go, I just, this doesn't make sense. And as I said when this all started, these types of viruses tend to mutate toward being less lethal, not more lethal. And there's historical record to show that. It's not always the case, but it is more often than not the case. And the reason is the more lethal a virus is, the worse it is for the virus. You know, think about it the way we, we need to set limits in, uh, to, to population and consumption with permaculture on a piece of property. If we overconsume, we, we, we end up extincting ourselves. Well, if a virus rapidly kills lots of people, it ends up with no host to inhabit. So the quarantine efforts in China likely kind of forced a survival mechanism and it mutated toward less lethal. And the way I know that it went in that direction versus the other direction, when I actually read about it and got off the site with the paywall on it that was making the hysterical claim, it turned out that 70% of the existing cases in China are the more aggressive virus, where they're getting these larger lethality numbers that I've already covered in, in, in great detail, that if there's more cases than we think, then the mortality rate is lower, not higher. That's, you can't inflate both sides of that equation. It doesn't logically track. But only 30% of the cases of coronavirus in China are the less aggressive strain. Now, we don't have to be real smart to figure out that the one with more cases is probably the first one, <laughs> and the one with less cases is the second one. It's the more evolved one. And when I read the medical literature on this and the research being done, instead of a headline of a rag out of the UK, I think it was The Sun or one of those sites like that, it turned out that my intuition was correct. This is exactly what the scientists are saying. Hey, it mutated in a less aggressive, less lethal form, the second type. Now, that's a couple things I wanted you to know about that. Number one, that's good, and that is that does track historically with trends. And that's also something I said early on, that it would probably mutate toward less lethal. And everybody told me I was stupid for saying it. I'm not saying there's, like, don't worry about it all now. It's all okay. Never know when to forget it. No, you still need to be prepared, which you should be anyway. Okay? Um, but I am saying it seems to be following what's historically normal. And this is usually what happens. And it's one of the reasons that I'm not as panicked. But today's show is not about coronavirus, but I want you to think about coronavirus and how it applies to whatever we cover today. So let's start off with the concept of homesteading. Like, what is homesteading? And I've been talking about homesteading for a long time, to the point where I've actually accused you're not the prepper or the survival podcast. You're the homesteading permaculture podcast. Yeah, because homesteading's prepping. Do you know the first time I talked about homesteading as a standalone subject on this show? July 2008. It was episode 20, and it was called From Home to Homestead. And it was based on the concept of changing your home from what it is for most Americans. We're taught that our home is our greatest asset. For most Americans, their home is their greatest liability because they could not service the debt on it for 90 days if they lost their income. And then they end up completely bankrupted and they have their credit destroyed and they end up with no capacity to borrow. And it's just, 
it's just a mess. And whenever that happens to a lot of people, you can't even sell the supposed underlying asset. You find out it's a liability. But if we actually make the home into a producer instead of a consumer, then we actually change that equation and the home becomes the asset that we're taught that it is. And we do that with a variety of things. But one is, number one, we first we do is we increase what our home and land produces for us. Most people's home and land produces nothing. It provides, but it doesn't produce. You understand the difference? Provide, yeah, you go home, you got a wall, you got a roof, you got an air conditioner, you got a refrigerator to keep your food in. You know, maybe you got a couch for your dog to sleep on while you're not at home, whatever, right? Litter box for your cat to shit in. But what does it give you other than a place to be? And for most Americans, the answer is not a damn thing. But if we put a, if we just put a garden in, just a couple little four by four raised beds in the backyard, now produces vegetables and herbs. Now, we're not done yet, but you understand that we've, we've taken a step. Now I can say, what does my home produce for me? Well, it produces food. Okay? Uh, we also have to reduce what it consumes. There's a lot of ways that we do that. We start off with, well, buying the damn thing in the first place. Most people spend more money than they should on a house. They buy homes for the wrong reasons. They buy them for neighborhoods, the quality of the school system and all. I'm not suggesting you buy a home in a place where the schools are absolutely awful and you're going to have to put your kid in a bulletproof vest and send them to school. I'm just saying a lot of times what people call a better school district is only a better school district because you get better scores there, which actually might make it harder for your kid to get into college if that is in their future, believe it or not. Believe it or not. I'm serious, because a lot of the public universities actually make the requirements to get in higher for kids that go to better schools, if you measure them on test scores alone. Found that out when my son went to college. Just interesting. It didn't really affect us, but it was interesting to look at it and go, wait a minute. The lower your class rank, the lower your test scores need to be get in, and the lower the quality of your school, the lower your test scores need to get in. No wonder we have a problem with college, but that's another thing. But... Um, We, we don't buy because of that. We don't buy because, well, there's lots of places to spend money we don't have. It's right down, you can walk to shopping or something. We buy the house because it's going to provide the best home for us, not the best house for us. The, when we look at a home, we start looking at the totality, the land, where it is, what the cost is. So one way our, our properties consume is they consume economically. We buy a house that's too expensive with property taxes that are $15,000 a year. And some of you just, you, you just almost died right there. Forget coronavirus, almost gave you a coronary heart attack. I know a family that was paying over $12,000 a year on property tax on a three-bedroom, two-bath, on a half-acre in New Jersey. And it was not a, a crappy house or anything. It was a pretty nice house, no nicer than what I own. And that was in the 90s. So I don't, even, I don't even want to think about what their property tax bill would be today if they're still there. That home is consuming too much. So while we want to shore up things like energy usage and stuff like that, we want to buy smart in the first place. Well, there's a possibility to, to, to shift the ratio into our favor. Think about it this way. If you go out and you pay $100,000 to set up a very small hydroponics greenhouse, you can never get an ROI off of it. You can never grow enough food to pay for that $100,000. But if you put in a great big giant greenhouse and hydroponic system for $100,000, then you can, you can eventually pay it off by selling produce. Start thinking about your, your property in the same way. So right from when we go in, we want to reduce consumption and increase production. Then we also want to store sufficient resources to keep things running. So if we have a flock of chickens, we don't want enough feed until next week. 
We want an ex enough feed for the rest of the quarter. And by the time we deplete half of it, we want to resupply. That way we're not worried about the chickens during a crisis. They've, they're going to eat. We could always ration them make, them, make them forage a little harder. So we want to do things like also consider storage, the forage that we build up over time for them. And we keep our flock size right so we're not over-consuming that that lets the land continue to produce. One way you don't destroy production is through the lack of over-consumption. Got it? So we want to keep resources both in the living systems and in the, the, the true storage systems enough battery to run 60, 90 days if we can't leave. Then we want to have the skills and knowledge to build or make what we need and to fix what breaks. That's part of being a homesteader. You, you can't just go buy a homestead off the shelf and expect to be happy. And what I mean by that is imagine if somebody started like pre-built Homestead Inc. Instead of buying just a house, when you moved in, you had a chicken flock, you had an aquaponic system, you had a little pond, you know, you had a garden plot and all that. That might be a cool thing, and it might actually even work, but unless you have knowledge to go with it, you're sunk. You're worse off than just buying a, a, a postage stamp lot in a suburb and build in a tiny homestead of your own, then if you buy something like that and don't know what you're doing, you are going to go negative so fast, and you're going to end up miserable. And if you get lucky, maybe you'll be on Learning Channel or Discovery or whoever has that homestead rescue show, maybe. When, when you actually build things, you know how they work, and that means when they break, you know how to fix them. It amazes me how much I know about my property. And when something goes wrong, like if somebody's here and says, well, this is going on over I know, I already know not only what actually is wrong instead of what they think's wrong, I already know what needs to be done, one, to stop the bleeding, and then two, to fix the patient. Because I built it myself. So homesteading is not just about the stuff, but the ability to service, maintain, build, correct, expand. And then we want to develop small enterprises, entrepreneurial activities, etc. If you go back to the, the, the heyday of homesteading in this country, long before there were 50 states, when people were still settling and going west for 40 acres, no one in this country wasn't on some level an entrepreneur. And some piece of that entrepreneurship came from their holding. And that, so that's homesteading in a nutshell. Increase what you, your home and land produce. Reduce what your home and land consumes. Store sufficient resources to keep things running. Have the skills and knowledge to build or make what you need and fix what breaks. And develop small enterprises entrepreneurial activities. And today you have so many more entrepreneurial activities that could be done. So let's talk about then because I'm a homesteader, not... I set this up so that I would be prepared. But I, 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 all it is is I decided I wanted to follow that five-point plan for homesteading and provide as much as I could for myself, develop as many skills as I could, make my land as productive as possible, resi res resist consumption, and resist consumption of my resources by the state through gray market activities or through unconventional rebellious activity, right? So there's nothing illegal about it, but just, yeah, most people wouldn't do it, but I do type of thing. So number one, and this is an interesting one as it relates to coronavirus, is I can make alcohol, including very high-proof fuel, in the words of Dr. Evil, fuel with the big quotes, right? I can make that. 
And I can make it from sugar. Let me tell you what. You, right now you can buy as much sugar as you want. So if I just want to make pure alcohol, I can go buy a 25-pound bag of sugar or five, five, five-pound bags of sugar, and I can make gallons of 190-proof alcohol. With a lot of the stuff I grow on my property, specifically fruit, I can make high-proof brandy. I can use that for disinfection. I can use that for imbibement because you can accidentally spill it in your mouth. Um, I can use it medicinally. But I can make it. I know how to make it. Is that a direct homesteading activity? Well, it sure as hell was at one time in history. But it's because of homesteading that I developed that skill sets and have the materials necessary to do distillation. So I can do that. And so when people are freaking out that, you know, all the Purell's gone, I can make high-proof alcohol and make all the disinfectant that I want just on that level alone. And I don't want to tie everything to what's going on right now, but it's just it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Um, next, we keep ducks. That is the, the, the core of our homesteading is around a duck flock, a small duck flock. We've, we've gone non-commercial now. And we've got that core flock that's enough to produce enough for a little bit of entrepreneurship. We can make basically make enough money from our ducks when we're selling eggs to pay for our feed. That's all we want. We have the perfect number for us so that my wife can do the little bit of work necessary to turn eggs into dollars without having a job. Unlike when we were you know, running 150 of them. And it was a couple hours a day just to wash and package eggs. You know, now as we maintain a couple, three customers, and, and most of the eggs don't even need to be washed because it's a small enough number. They stay in the duck house. A few of them get washed. They get put in a carton, write a thing on it, text your customer, hey, we got some. How many you want this week? You want three dozen? Okay, we'll have them. Boom. They pay for themselves. There's an entrepreneurial thing there. But from a standpoint of let's say that I don't want to sell any eggs because the, 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 the virus mutates into the dog-faced pony soldier virus, Okay. And, and now food is somewhat scarce compared to normal. Got plenty of food, got plenty of forage for the ducks. Lots for them to eat. I can feed us on eggs from a basic nutritional uh, profile for months. Don't have to worry. Got fat, got protein, some of the highest quality nutrition you can get. And if things started to get bad, I'd run down to the feed store. It's only it's, it's closer feed store that I never go to. And I'd buy the cheap, shitty GMO feed which I don't use right now. But if I saw a crisis coming, I could go load up on 600 pounds of that shit, and I'm good till August. September, probably. Is it the same high quality? No, it's still better than anything you're eating out of the store. And I don't have to do any work. Ducks take care of themselves. I mean, that's a homestead, and I'm, I'm prepped. I have that protein and fat source available to me. Year-round, almost no work. Because I'm a homesteader, not because I'm a prepper, but boy, it's a good prep, isn't it? I can produce more vegetative nutrition than I can hope to consume. So you say a man can't live on eggs alone, I beg to differ, but I have a source of calories from my eggs. Right? I've always said grow your nutrition and buy your calories, and mostly we do because I don't grow cattle. But I have a source of the, of the calories, and I have an unlimited supply of nutrition. I have 25 pounds of Master Blend fertilizer and a, and, a, and a hydroponic system that I can grow enough food to feed me and all my neighbors a salad a day every day for a year and enough seed stored up to do it. Don't even have to go outside. 
Plus, I got all the shit that I got outside. Again, homesteading for the win. Uh, and when I say more than I can eat, I mean right now. And this is an important thing to understand. If you have not started as a homesteader, and you're looking at an acute crisis in your area, let's say if you're in Seattle right now, where everybody's losing their mind about coronavirus, starting homesteading today is not really going to fix your problem. So I don't have a seed vault upstairs in my attic that I haven't looked at since I bought it in 2006, where the seed probably won't grow, even though the person from Solution from Science says it will, right? Even though they're out of business, I think, now, right? That's not what I have. I have actively grown, like right now, 10 people could come to my house and say, Jack, make us a salad. I go, make you a salad, and tomorrow there's still plenty left for me, and there's plenty left for the week, and I'm running on a cycle of turn of 20 to 30 days to turn crops on my vegetative crops. And that's just what's in hydroponics. I have two huge rows already out. I've got plants already started for my long-term summer crops. I've got beds prepped all over the place. When I say more vegetables than I can eat, I am not whistling Dixie. Okay? I mean, literally, I cannot run out of vegetables. It's impossible. I might get a little bored, but I don't think so. I think I have more variety than most people who go to the market every week. So not only do I have the vegetables, if I need to self-quarantine, I still have the vegetables. I don't have to risk exposure if for some reason I had to. right? And I'm just using that one example of a crisis. You can apply this to anything we prep for. All right. Next, I have a ton of seed. I have, like, not only can I grow all this stuff, people say, well, what happens when you run out of seed? Well, first of all, I think I could go about three years and grow the shit out of stuff and probably still have some left. But not only do I have that ability, I know exactly because I've learned and taught myself as a homesteader how to isolate and save seed for tr producing true to type. I even know how to make my own hybrids. I'm going to be making hybrid peppers this year. Not growing them, making them. Why? Because I'm a homesteader. I'm a homesteader, I'm a horticulturalist, and I'm a permaculturist. I said long ago about... The movement for true liberty in this country, not being a revolution, it's an insurrection. It's an insurrection. And the way governments have historically shut down insurrections is by starving them out. You can't starve people that produce their own food out. That is, that is a constant in society of rebellion. The best thing you can be if you want to be an insurrectionist is a homesteading farmer, permaculturist, horticulturist, food producer. Because it makes you able to survive, not no matter what, but when no one else can. All right? So I have tons of seed I can make more. That's a direct result of homesteading. Next, um, I have thousands of gallons of water in rain catch. I'm not even counting my swimming pool. I have thousands of gallons of water. It rained yesterday, all day long. I have two giant poly tanks full of water right now. And I have a Berkey. And I know how to boil water, so not only can I have water to drink, even if the grid goes down and my well won't work for some reason, I still have all that water, and if it rains at all, it fills back up. I can use it for cooking, I can use it for irrigation, I do use it for my hydroponics. Two big tanks and some rain gutter. And I'm, I, water is not, like, do you think I'm going to Sam's Club or Costco to buy bottled water? When I have 3,000-gallon bottles of water, and every time it rains, they just magically fill back up, 
And I have the ability to make that water safe to drink. I can cook with it. I can irrigate with it. I can provide it to my ducks. They might not be getting full pools to swim in every day at that point. But, like, my dogs are going to drink. My birds are going to drink no matter what. And I have a well. We'll get to that in a second. That's a big part, I think, of homesteading as well. You know, having some level of off the grid. Um, but, yeah, I have a septic system and a well. I'm not, I'm not dependent on grid sewage or water. I don't expect the water supply to get cut off during this, like in mass. But we have situations that happen all the time where areas get cut off in water. And one of the problems we could have, and this is what happened recently, I think it's in Austin or near San Antonio, somewhere in Texas where people went crazy because they got coronavirus scare And a main water break, a main water line broke at the same time. So everybody went crazy. Wouldn't even look out the window. Don't care. Got a well. And if the power goes out, generator runs. Well pumps. Plus I got, you know, 3,000 gallons. And that's not even counting my 24,000 gallons of water sitting in my swimming pool. Make swimming cold water. Yeah, and I can purify that too. Berkey takes chlorine right out of water. Throw it on the on the stove and burn it, and I got a giant propane tank, mostly because this is a homestead. So the grid can go out. I can cook. I have water. I can purify water. I have electricity. I can run my pumps. I can run a damn air conditioner. I have a bunch of gas stored. I have a bunch of diesel stored for my truck. My truck produces electricity. Most of this stuff is because I'm a homesteader. So... The next thing is, when I'm talking about growing food, I can grow food indoors year-round, 24-7, 365. I can grow food in my greenhouse. I can grow food outdoors most of the year. I know how. It's not theoretical. I've been here living this way for almost seven years now. I know my property. I've put the systems in. And I know not only can I grow food outside through these months, I know where and what to start with because I'm a homesteader. I didn't just move in and say, one day, if something goes wrong, I got all this stuff available. I started building those systems the day that I got here. I started eyeballing where the systems would go before I closed on the property. I bought the property because I knew it would do these things for me. Homesteading is prepping, right? Fruit season is about to come. Now, I don't eat a lot of fruit, but if I needed calories, here it is. It also, that fruit, again, can be turned into fuel, right? Fuel, right? <laughs> and it can feed livestock. So I'm fixing to have fruit all over the property. All the fruit trees are in great big blooms right now. And wild edibles are about to go crazy. I'm about to be living for a couple weeks on white uh, white blossoms off of the freaking locust trees. Like wild garlic's going to go everywhere. Lamb's quarters are going to go everywhere. If I know I need to, to preserve some of the nutrition from the lamb's quarters, I can let some of it grow and protect it from the ducks and produce a huge seed crop and make a high-protein meal out of that. Or I can grow it as a microgreen for massive additional nutrition. I've got elderberry freaking fixing to take off and go nuts everywhere. That's a medicinal, and we'll get to that in a second. Right? So I've got food that just grows. Now, when I moved in, it wasn't the way it worked, but it is now. So I'm going to have wild and cultivated food everywhere, and I know where they are and when they come. 
And I know the stuff that if I needed, like, hey, things are a little tight right now, I need to preserve it, I can take some extra effort and preserve that nutrition through very simple means. Right? I have enough fish to feed us a meal a day for months in my ponds. I have multiple ponds. Be like, ah, it's all like a Japanese water garden. It's all artsy fartsy. What? Ah, it's full of catfish and bluegill. And I have other tanks that are full of minnows and shrimp. And if I can't get fish food, and by the way, I use about 150 pounds of fish food a year, three bags a year of fish food. And I got a few of them on hand. But when I I don't feed a lot from about this time of the year all the way up until fall, because all I have to do is walk over to my minnow tanks once the population explodes, which is fixing to do right now, throw a couple pellets in the top to attract them, and go zip with a net, and then plop in the other tank, and the fish are fed. I have fish tanks in my house. A lot of that is because of my hobby, but a lot of it also is research things I can grow aquatically. I can go out and get these gambrosias or mosquito fish minnows, and if I get specific with it, I can produce thousands and thousands of them in four 10-gallon tanks. And that's free food for everything else, and I can feed them with no real input cost at all. Not to mention, I can feed my fish worms, which are in all my garden beds. And if I need to get a fish out, I don't need a net, I don't need something expensive, I can take one of my fishing rods, I can pull back some mulch in one of my garden beds, I can pull a worm out, I can stick half of his ass on the hook, boom, there's one fish, other half on, boom, there's another fish, there's two fish, there's dinner. And I don't even have real ponds. I have tanks. If I lived somewhere where I could have real ponds, I it would be on like Donkey Kong. Now, next up, I have a generator. Kind of mentioned already, but I have a generator if the grid goes down to lots of fuel. I could easily go a week if I had to, keeping everything running. I don't anticipate having to go longer than that. If I think I'm going to have to go longer than that, start firing up the smoker and start smoking fish to preserve it. Because, I mean, that's about my only real weakness in the fish system is I do need electricity. But I don't need it to run 24-7. And I have backup, I have multiple ways to back that up. So, even if the grid goes down, I'm okay. Because it's not just about coronavirus. Right? I'm talking about generalized prepping. So, if something goes haywire, I'm good for at least a week without rationing. If I think it's going to be longer, I could ration it easily make two weeks. Next up, I know local resources to forage food where any risk of contagion, if we're talking about um, the coronavirus, is low to non-existent. And even in uh, some other form of crisis, most people just have no idea. You know, I talked about the fish. The one thing I have to do, because I don't have a high reproduction rate of fish in my systems, because they are tanks, which means big fish eat little fish, but I can, you know, I can take 100 fish out over two months, and over those two months, I can put a 100 fish in, just smaller ones. And I don't, I mean, for the type of fish that I do, guys, you have to understand here, this isn't running around in a bass boat. I can take a bucket, 2D batteries, and an aerator, and a cast net, and it will take me longer to drive down to a little pond, throw a handful of corn in it, to throw that cast net two times, put those fish in that bucket, turn around and come home. And I'll have to be in contact with anybody, and I know lots of places to do things like that. 
I also know lots of places to forage for other types of food. I won't get into it today, but I know how, because I'm a homesteader and because I teach hunter-gatherer mindset, I know local resources that I can go out and acquire and bring home, and I know how to do it without having to have, you know, a grab-ass party with a bunch of people in the produce section of the grocery store while people sneeze on you. I mean, it's not even hard. Next, I have herbal medicine knowledge. And I said for years and years, there are things that you need a doctor for. And if I have, you know, walking pneumonia and I think I'm going to end up dying, I'm going to a hospital. But, I mean, just the fact that I know how to make elderberry syrup is valuable. And the fact that I can grow elderberries is valuable. The fact that I have a shitload of elderberries dried and a shitload of elderberries in the freezer while people are paying $20 a pound for it on Amazon because everybody all of a sudden is an herbal expert and they read an article somewhere about elderberries makes me feel pretty good. And it's not just coronavirus. Again, if I'm stuck here, if I don't want to leave, I know how to deal with mild problems through the use of herbals because I'm a homesteader. Now, it's one of those areas that I've gotten particularly interested in, that I've studied a lot, that I know a lot about, read a lot about, practiced a lot. But it's all because I'm a homesteader. And most homesteaders do learn basic herbal medicine because you start looking for what resources I have, and you're like, well, there's plantain grows here. Oh, that's an herb. Oh, that has medicinal value. Oh, I bought these elderberries. The best thing I can do with them isn't to make pie or jelly or meat. Well, meat's pretty good, but to make a medicinal out of them. This is comfrey. What is comfrey good for other than feeding ducks and using as, as a mulch and as a, a green manure? Oh, it's a dermal regenerator. It's good for scrapes and abrasions and sprains and strains, twisted ankles, busted knees. Because I'm a homesteader, I know how to treat basic ailments. I'm not saying I know how to do surgery, right? Or I can cure, you know, I can cure SARS with essential oils like Karen, right? I'm just saying that that's an advantage. My property is well defended against all sorts of, in the words of Dr. Evil with the air quotes, predators, right? So I'm talking like if something comes to bother my livestock, I'm not going to lose livestock. I have procedures that I've learned over the years from having problems in the past where my birds are safe. And if something does come on this property, I have dogs that will kill it, including two-legged predators. So my property is gated, fenced, defined, and well defended. That's pretty nice. That's pretty nice if you have a resource shortage. I didn't do that because I think somebody's going to come try to take my stuff. I did that because I'm a homesteader, and I want to run livestock, and I want to have dogs, and I don't want to have to stay out there with an airsoft gun shooting the egret that keeps coming trying to eat my fish. So I've taught my dogs, bad bird, right? And, and, and all I have to do if I think something's going on and the dogs aren't outside is say, bad bird, and open the door, and they're going to patrol the whole property and look for the bad bird and chase it away. If it's a hawk trying to eat my ducks, they're going to chase it away. If it's some poor stupid vulture just wanting to hang out on the, uh, the uh, phone pole and just kind of sit there and, and look for something dead that I don't really mind, he's getting chased too. Sorry about your luck, dude. That's my, dogs don't understand. Bad birds. If there's a person trying to climb over my fence, God help them. I mean, seriously, to God help you if you try to get into this property with specifically two of my dogs when you ain't supposed to be here. They will eat your lunch, and you will be lunch. I mean, that's 
you know, that's nice. But that's not because I'm like, they're coming, man. They're coming, man. It's the FEMA guys in the blue helmets. I got to train my dogs to attack the blue helmet. No, it's just like, I need my property defended. Now I don't have to worry about that. I'm not saying that, you know, if somebody uh, runs an armed assault that that's going to work. I'm saying general day-to-day security concerns. I got a pit bull and a pit ski. I got an old-ass German shepherd that's pretty useless now, but he's if you don't know he's old, you don't want anything to do with because he's 150 pounds. And eventually, as he goes off to the Rainbow Bridge, he will be replaced. This property will always be defended, not because I'm paranoid, because it's necessary. So then it's not a concern. And see, so much of this stuff, it's not, I did this to be prepared. I did this because I wanted to live this way. And now that concern is addressed. That's what homesteading is. This is why the homesteading generations of the past got by so well even during things like the Great Depression. It wasn't because they got ready for the Great Depression. They built a life that was resilient to the Great Depression. Maybe they couldn't have some of the luxuries, but hey, we're going to eat tonight. And we're going to eat well enough that we're going to be able to feed the neighbor that, that, that is not quite up to speed yet. That's what this country was built on. And I have knowledge and resources for multiple ways to preserve food. So I am on grid electrically. And even if we have electrical outages, it's not going to be the coronavirus made the power go out. If you understand anything about our electrical grid, you know, what takes out our electrical grid is storms and idiots with backhoes. And in the grand scheme of things, in the worst of conditions, it's short-lived. The worst I ever experienced was 18 days in the middle of a massive ice storm in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And when we when it finally cleaned up enough to go into town and our power was still out, we decided to go down to um, a Cracker Barrel and have, have breakfast, Dorothy and I did, just to get out. You know, a little bit of cabin fever. We were about eight days into it. And the stories we were hearing people tell, because they finally got out too, about how miserable they were. And some of them already had their power back, but they had, you know, they had so many other problems now they were trying to fix. We heard people talking about how, boy, I should have checked my even people that had generators, that turned them on in, in years. And when they tried to start them, they wouldn't start. They had bad fuel lines, whatever. Like we were hearing all this stuff and we're thinking, damn, we're spoiled. Because this happened during Christmas time. We had the lights blinking on the Christmas tree and we're watching football games because we were homesteaders. So we weren't homesteaders because we were preppers. We were preppers because we were homesteaders. And if you know how to preserve food, all this gets turbocharged. Because in a, down, a downturn, some sort of situation puts a stressful situation on you. The first thing you don't want to be is without. You don't want to be the person running out trying to fill the hole. You want to be the person without the hole. So now something goes wrong, whatever it is. So now we say, self, what do we have the most of? What do we have the greatest longevity of right now that we don't need to worry about? And if it's more than three months, you don't need to worry about it at all. Not right now. So we figure out the things that we like, eh, you know what? Used a couple cans of gasoline last month more than I. I'm gonna run down the gas station and I'm gonna fill these cans up. Not I'm gonna go start filling you know freaking grocery bags full of gasoline like I've seen done during hurricanes. Not some super panic. Just like okay, that's the thing that there's some empty containers for. 
Let me go fill that up. You know, I'm going to go down and buy a couple hundred pounds extra of, of feed for my birds. Or one extra bag of feed for my fish. That's good for freaking, you know, four months. It's good for a quarter, more than a quarter, a third of the year, right? Um, yeah, you know, yeah. I don't really need anything else. And then you start saying, well, if this starts to kind of be a problem, it's going to be longer duration. Well, while I'm kicking back and living a good life in spite of the tough times, and I'm going through this period of plenty, let me preserve this stuff so if things get really stressful, I don't have to keep trying to make more. So preservation knowledge. And... Who is a homesteader that doesn't learn to dehydrate, to can, to flash freeze, to ferment? Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, all the things that benefit you during a time that being a prepper pays off. Being a homesteader makes second nature. And since I've been teaching this for 12 years, that's why I've been really relaxed about this. I expect that if you're students of this philosophy, you have. I don't expect everybody to be where I am, but I know some of you are. I know for a fact there's a couple people out there that I've seen freaking out. You're better off than I am. You have more resources than I do, and you're still freaking out. And I think, again, it's not so much as I kind of picked on some people for earlier this week that it's that you're not as prepared as you thought you were. It's you're more prepared than you realize you were, and you're focusing on the wrong things because... I'll explain it another way, too, the way this shit happens. And it, it, it's it's a weird thing, but it has to do with the way we handle food for our workshops here at, at, at the farm when we bring people out you know, once a year for our big workshops. So I, I promise you, no one complains about not being fed enough here. And in the end, people are like, man, there's just too much food. We used to have a problem when we first started is we were learning to manage and run a workshop. We'd put all the food out, and we just put tongs out and get your own food. And we would end up with the last few people in line scraping the bottom of the barrel and not having much of the main you know, meats and stuff like that. So we put a stop to it, and we started feeding people with servers. So you come up, and you get a couple pieces of brisket, a couple pieces of sausage, and you know, a couple of quail eggs. And we already figured out, these are the portions we can give out. This is going to feed everybody, and there's going to be leftovers. And then once the last ones were like, did everybody get a, did a plate of food? All right, we put everything out, take whatever you want, never run out of food. Isn't that interesting? And what we also noticed is before we started putting that control in place, if the first guy in line went heavy on one thing, almost everybody behind him went heavy on that same thing. This is what happens. People go to the grocery store, they go to Sam's Club, whatever, I'm going to pick up this, I'm going to pick up that, and they see a guy with four cases of water. Oh, I better get some water. And monkey see, monkey do, and all of a sudden there's no water left, and then some dumbass takes a picture of it, puts it on social media, and goes, oh, I got to get water. Does your sink work, stupid? Seriously, does your sink work? What are you doing? You don't even know. And this is what causes this type of thing to, to go crazy. It's this idea that since somebody else is going after this resource, I need to go after this resource too, even if you are already good to go. 
How many bottles of water do you need? How much wiping of your ass is necessary? How many loaves of bread can you have before it all goes bad? Milk has kind of a shelf life too. Like when you homestead, so much of this is already taken care of. And I just wonder how many of you that are really worried about this don't realize how well prepared you actually are. Next, um, I've always said there's no downside to prepping. And I would say homesteading is a kind of prepping. In fact, homesteading is almost auto-prepping. Like, you cannot care about prepping. You can say, I'm not a prepper, not a survivalist, don't care. You go homestead, you're going to be 90% prepped. Because real quick, you're going to start having stuff happen. Like, shit, I'm out of feed for my chickens. This sucks. I thought I was going to sit on my ass and watch football. Well, now i got to get my ass in my truck and drive down the feed store and get some food. Screw that. And next thing you know, you're like, I'm going to store food. So then you stack up a bunch of bags of food. You go out to feed your chickens one day. You know, whatever you have open is empty. So you go get another bag, you pick it up, food goes all over the floor. What the hell? So you look and there's a hole in the bag. A rat or some other critter came in and started eating your food. So you're like, screw that. You go down to Home Depot. You buy yourself a couple galvanized garbage cans for about 25 bucks a piece. You dump all your feed in there and put the lid on and go, screw you, rat. Well, now you have durably stored feed for your livestock. Guess what? If you depend on your livestock for food or other resources, you're prepped. Why? Because it was the natural, instinctual thing to do. You go out and you put in a uh, you, you put in livestock on your property, and one day you come out and your chickens are dead because your neighbor's dog ate them. You're like, I can't have this, so you put in some sort of security mechanism. Now you've secured your property. You go and you put a garden in, and you don't want to use things like artificial fertilizers, so you start composting. Now you have a waste disposal system. And you can just keep going. When you homestead, you prep. It's almost impossible for those two things to not overlap. You're producing surplus that needs to be stored. You're creating a process that needs to be planned for. What, what is prep if, prepping if it's not you're creating a process that needs to be planned for and seen to? Keep in mind that we may have shortages on some things, but not all things. And this too, whatever this happens to be, it just happens to be coronavirus this, the, the, right now, will pass. And the big thing about that when it comes to homesteading is, I, I, re, I don't remember what blog I read this on, but I, I read this years and years ago, and I covered this back when I was still doing the show from my car. And the guy that wrote it, you could tell like he wasn't a great English scholar. Because he wrote it like blah, 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 C, right? But... He made a very accurate point. He's like, if there's a food shortage, but you have food, you can always figure out how to get more food before the food that you have runs out. But if there's a food shortage and you're very short on or out of food, it becomes very difficult to figure out what to do next because you go into stress, you go into reactionary mode, you can't think, and you have no time. So as a homesteader... We build up enough battery that when something goes wrong, we can sit back while the fray goes on. And after everybody's done beating the shit out of each other, metaphorically or otherwise, 
we're still in a good position where we can say, okay, here is the thing that I'm going to go short on first. What else do I have that fills that need? How else can I take care of that, or how do I replace it? And I only have this one thing or two things at a time to think about, and it damn sure ain't bottled water and toilet paper. By the way, my wife, from the, the time that I got her on board with prepping, has been a hoarder of Charmin. My house will probably burn for an extra day if it ever catches on fire just from toilet paper. Y'all can have your toilet paper. I am not worried. I am good to go. That has nothing to do with homesteading, but it, my point with that is if you get your spouse on board with something and they are really good at making sure one thing never runs out and it's not something you really thought was important like Charmin, you just shut up and get your ass out of the way, Jack. And you let them do that thing because it gives them something and that makes them buy in. You don't ever tell them their idea is stupid unless they want to go buy four cases of toilet paper right now at Costco where you know they don't have it in Seattle. Okay? Right? So normal day-to-day, peacetime, they get this one thing they say they need to do because I'm sitting here going, boy, that was a good idea. I don't know that I would have really thought about not to the level she <laughs> anyway. Um And the thing about homesteading that really drives all this home and the philosophy I've been teaching since day one, and again, the first deep dive into homesteading we did was episode 20. It's not new. It's like, gee, I just thought of this. This is episode 2613. We are seven away, seven episodes short from it being um, 2,600 episodes since the first time I talked about this. And guess what this all is? Homesteading is helping me and will help you live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. My life is better every day of the year because of everything that I said today. The difference is my life stays better even if times get tough. And so if you have been dabbling with homesteading or thinking about it, I think any time's a good time to start. You might find certain things in, in short supply right now, but it probably isn't what you need. It just may, you got you do have to think, right? Don't go out and, and spend a bunch of money on stuff to start up a homestead from zero if you're broke and you're short on resources. That is not what to do right now. But if you are a homesteader or if you've been building a homestead, start to assess what it's doing for you and do start to tighten up its real value. We have so many people that, you know, like when you evaluate what they're doing, you're like, you don't have livestock, you have pets. And I have pets too. They're dogs. I mean, even my cats have a job. And I'm telling you, my cats, as long as I keep the bird feeders full, I could feed them three times a week and they would be good. I, they do not have a big feed bill. Oh my God, they're killing birds. Yeah, so do I. Have you ever been to a dove field in Texas in September? There's feathers everywhere. Just like my cats do, right? I mean, the, 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 you know, I, I'm not really excited about the fact that they take out some birds, but my point is, if times are tough, I'm not worried about the fact that Dana ate a cardinal. And that cat can take care of itself. My ducks forage for more than half of what they consume, and they produce incredibly high nutrition. I do not have pets. I have a livestock, right, when it comes to those animals. And you have to start thinking that way about your homestead. I don't have a hobby. I have a production system that masquerades as a hobby. I enjoy it so it gets to be a hobby, but it produces food, and it produces more than it consumes, so it is a net positive. 
You do that, and you build your life that way, and you find yourself when everybody's losing their heads, you're not. And I think with all of the panic that's been going on this last month, what I just said there, before I wrap up, I want to play something for you. I'm not even going to tell you what it is, except I will tell you it is a poem. It was written, well, I'll tell you what it is, because it was, come on, right? It is a poem. It was written by a gentleman named Rudyard Kipling. And the poem's called If. And I'd like, to th I'd like you to think about this as you hear this right now. In regard to everybody losing their minds because the TV told them to. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you but make allowances for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good nor look too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same. If you can hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools or watch the things you gave your life for broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at the beginning and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are done and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings nor lose the common touch If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you. If all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 40 seconds worth of distance run. Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Then yours is the world and everything in it. Isn't that interesting? Those words are over 100 years old now. Yours is the world. If you can keep your head when everyone about you is losing theirs. Homesteading isn't the only way to do that, but it's a way to do that. And I invite you to consider making your own way, and the others will follow, and the fact that there is a better way to do this when it comes to the way we live our modern, modern lives. With that, we've wrapped up another episode of the Survival Podcast. If you've enjoyed this show uh, today or over the years, I do recommend that you uh, help support us in a very simple, easy way. And that is just when you're going to buy something online, go to tspaz.com first and start your shopping there. If you do that, you help support us in the work that we do. It's painless, doesn't cost you any extra money, and you can see all the stuff that I review, but it doesn't matter what you buy, it just matters you start there. Now, the item of the day that I have for you today, I did pick in light of freaking out people about um, coronavirus and stocking up. 
Because it's interesting. People are stocking up on stuff that either is perishable or they don't need or they generally don't use. So people are buying a whole bunch of like beans and shit. Like it's stupid what have happened at bean prices on Amazon. It's just dumb. And the people that have never made a dried bean in their life. Um, though I'll tell you, when I went to the store the other day, there was nothing off the shelves. I did find a picture just before I do this, right? I found a picture. This is great. A news agency went to show that the food was all being and, and being wiped out in the store, and it wasn't. The store they picked, like there was anything you wanted, was there. So they cleared the shelves, and they the, the, somebody took a picture. They got all their shit set up, and they're taking a picture of it to show the shelves wiped out. But you can see the table in the background that they set up to move all the food to. Just just gonna say, but. What nobody's buying is things that actually keep long-term and provide lots of calories and lots of nutrition, like my item of the day today, Wild Planet Mackerel Fillets. I'm going to say, like, if because sardines would be great, by the way, but a lot of people are like, sardines don't really, I don't, ah, you know, like, there's just a, a, a distinctive fishy flavor in a, a certain texture of sardines. I like it, but I understand when people say they don't. Wild Planet Mackerel Fillets. Do not have that flavor profile at all. They do taste like fish, but they don't have that fishy taste. And they're very firm. That's the firmest canned fish I've ever eaten. And they remind me a lot of like high-end, very expensive tuna that's jarred, not canned, from like Italy, directly from Italy. Like it's that kind of quality. But it's inexpensive. They're awesome. They taste great. They're 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 packed in olive oil. They are a low-level feeder, so they don't have a big mercury risk. They have certainly way less mercury than tuna fish. And one can, 180 calories, 11 grams of fat, 21 grams of protein, 0 grams of carbs. And the fats coming is omega-3s and high-quality extra virgin olive oil. Meaning, if you're growing your vegetables and you want to make a salad out of this, you have your protein, you have your fat, and you have your salad dressing. Throw some herbs, take, take, drain off the oil, right? Hit it with a little bit of a vinegar, mix in some herbs and garlic, and then use that on your salad with the fish. And come on, 12 pack case, 36 bucks. Storage time, years. Years. I'm talking like four or five years of storage life. Printed on the can, and we all know that food lasts longer than what it says on the can. Check these things out and look for other. If you want to, right now, you feel a little bit exposed because of your food storage, look at things like this canned chicken, canned beef, canned fish, canned clams. These are all high protein, moderate to high fat, depending on what you buy, calorically dense foods. Hell of a lot better for you can craft macaroni and cheese, and that's what all the Karens are going to buy first. Now, I always say to store shit like that if you feed your kids it on a normal basis, but this is, and you know what's another interesting thing, right? So when I went keto, everybody's like, oh my God, how are you going to be a prepper with keto? <laughs> Everything about my life from homesteading and keto makes me more prepared than the average person, even if I wasn't a prepper and didn't do the survival podcast. So just a thought on that. 
And again, you can help us uh, out by doing your online shopping at T-SPAS. So if you're going to buy toilet paper for a dollar a roll on Amazon today or anything else, consider starting at T-SPAS to help us out. Though I don't recommend you pay a dollar a roll for toilet paper. All right. <laughs> I guess if you're in Seattle, maybe you have to right now. You should have had a prepper wife. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up, talk about our song of the day. We are in Joe D. Messina week. And uh, even though John Adam gave me like eight songs to pick from and only five days to do it in, I did decide to go out and get one of my own songs. So tomorrow we'll come back to a song off of his list. This is when I went out in the, the Jody to Messina Wilderness, and I got my own damn song, clubbed it over the head and brought it. I know that sounds retarded, but anyway. Uh, but I think it's a perfect song for today, and it's a perfect song for the political ass clown circus as well. Right? This song is the, 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 the musical version of the picture, uh, the meme, where the guy's out in the middle of a field, and he's like an old, old English or something, you know, like, looks like, you know, like medieval times or something, and he's got his hands up. And, and I'll, I won't say the word, but you'll know what the word is when I say the, the initial instead. It says, Behold the field in which I grow my F's. And you will see that it is barren. <laughs> right? This is the musical version rated G version or at least PG version of that song for the radio it's called My Give a Damn's Busted now in the context of the song she's a woman that broke up with a guy who feels bad about it and wants her back or something like that and nope nothing My Give a Damn's Busted but I'm, I'm a big believer in you know taking a song to mean whatever you want to mean for yourself and from when it comes to all the crazy shit that the TV's hyping right now from coronavirus to the ass clown circus, the fake Indian dropping out and giving a speech that shows she can't do anything without looking awkward, all of it, I don't care. I care a little bit here and there, but in the general grand scheme, my give a damn is busted. My life is great because I built it that way. Yours should be too, and if it's not, keep building it. The world isn't ending. You're going to be okay. The longer you build and the more you build and the more you take control of yourself, the more insulated, the more inoculated you become from the real virus to be concerned of. The virus of society's systems invading your life to the point where you're controlled by others. I'm not. I don't want you to be either. That way one day you'll also be able to say, if you can't already, my give a damn is busted. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast.
After all, you didn't pick them. Maybe somebody else has got time to listen. My give a damn's busted. Well, your therapist says it was all a mistake. A product of the Prozac and your codependent ways. So, who's your enabler these days? My give a damn's busted. Give a damn's busted. 